Hello and welcome to Where Do We Begin? My name's Rachel Lynch. I'm the goalkeeper for the Hockey Roos. I'm from Melbourne and I'm a full-time nurse. Thanks for that, Rachel. My name is Harper and my co-host on this tremendous winter's morning we've got going on here in Melbourne goes by the name of Lockie. How are you, Lockie? Oh, Harper, I'm on top of the world, you know. The sun's shining, the weather is absolutely beautiful, and we have just finished one of the best episodes we have ever recorded with Rachel Lynch. Can you tell us a little bit about the guest? Oh, yeah. Awesome hockey ruse player. We did record this episode before the Olympic window. Uh, just in case any of you were wondering, we've broken any restrictions. We haven't. Uh, it was a while, while back. And of course, Rachel is 2019 International Goalkeeper of the Year, which is uh, nothing to be scoffed at, as I'm sure you guys will all uh, realise. And... If you know anything about the hockey ruse, what they've gone through, what they've been through, bit of a tumultuous period recently, which Rachel was uh, really at the centre of. And there's a whole range of stuff that we really haven't got time to talk about in this intro, but we do have time to talk about in the interview itself. So do you reckon we should just get into it, Lockie? Let's dive in. Our guest today is a genuine global superstar within her sport. Having donned the gloves 225 times for the Hockey Rouge, she's arguably the best goalkeeper in the world and has won, I think it's reasonable to say, a fairly long list of accolades, which really backs this up. I'm sure we'll touch on this later on the show, but it's certainly been a wild ride for her to get to Tokyo, but she's been named to the squad and is ready to smash it for Australia, which is precisely why we've got her on the show this morning. So welcome to Where Do We Begin, Rachel Lynch. Hello, guys. How's it going? Oh, absolutely superb and absolutely stoked to have you on, Rachel. You play <laughs> one of uh, Harper and I's favourite sports at the Olympics, hockey. Now, I'm sure our listeners have a fair idea about it as we've had a few different ex-hockey players on the podcast, but could you just give a little bit of an explanation of the sport? Uh, yeah, well, it's um, it's a pretty pretty exciting sport. Uh, a lot of people don't see it other than Com Games and Olympics because we're not on TV that much, but similar to soccer, um, Probably a few more goals than soccer, way more, I mean, way less boring and uh, a really a sport for everyone. It's a sport that I guess you can play at any age, any body type um, and yeah, it's good fun. Yeah, yeah, awesome. And just before, like we've got a couple of questions that we asked at the start of the show explaining the sport and also the training methods. So uh, hockey's a bit more mainstream of a sport compared to taekwondo or canoe slalom or whatever but especially as a goalkeeper what's a typical kind of day out and training on the hockey field look like for you it is a unique position but our week looks pretty similar to the rest of the team uh we do weights a couple of times a week some do pilates or yoga and uh things like that added in but our hockey sessions uh the whole group i do do one goalkeeping individual a week with my goalie coach where we can work on uh i guess high repetition particular saves and that's how we build the, the habits and the good technique but the rest of the session is yeah just joining with the girls most drills will end with some sort of shot so that's where I come in um, it's quite handy I don't have to listen when they're explaining the drills because I know I just stand at the end of it and um, save the shot but the only other part that's different for us is when the girls go off and do their running we just stand there and clap our hands and support them <laughs> Geez, sounds like my sort of my sort of position. I guess I'll tell you what though, just every time I watch hockey, I just see that I know you've got all the protective padding, but is it still quite sort of like intimidating when you have the balls rock hard, pelted at you at ridiculous speeds? I mean, it still must take such courage to still take that and take a hit and block the ball. Yeah, it is. I mean, it can be a little bit scary at times. I've got that many action shots with my eyes shut, <laughs> which is never a good sign, but Essentially, you're fighting against your body's um, natural instincts of like getting out the way or, um, you know, dodging what's coming at you. But it's amazing how good your reflexes will be when something's coming flying at your head. <laughs> and you've got your own kind of training program that you found and created called Stomp, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I set up Stomp a few years ago. I've always done coaching. I love um, the uh, specialized coaching, coaching goalkeepers. And then it was actually with the help of my brother, we ended up putting it online. So most most goalies will come through their career without a coach. It's because it is a specialist position. There's not enough coaches around. Uh, so a lot of the training that you do has to be reasonably self-directed. So by putting the program online, we film all of the, the content, 
um, the start of the year and then the goalies have their own training program that they can run independently and then just utilising most of the drills are simplified enough that they can utilise mum, dad, a teammate, friend, you know, whoever, or ideally their coach if possible, but um, they can use that to run their own program because, yeah, essentially if you don't if you don't train it yourself, you're not going to get it. You know, the most club coaches don't have the expertise sometimes all the time to invest in their goalies. So uh, this just makes it easier. And yeah, I've been really fortunate. I've got members all around the world that have jumped on board, and um, it's just nice also to kind of engage with those those goalkeepers of any age and keep them in the sport because that, that's that's what it's about and um, encourage and support them because it is quite a tough position, especially for young kids. Yeah, it's awesome, and it's no wonder why Australia's got such talented young uh, goalkeepers coming through the ranks. And I guess I'll, I would be interested to know. I guess is there like a feedback mechanism? Like, for example, is there an ability for them to sort of like for them to send videos to you and you sort of assess their technique or sort of give them advice of gen- just general day uh, game day tips? It's not formalized, but yeah, I guess I, I pride myself on responding to anyone that sends me a message or a whatever. You know, if they send me a little clip here's me being awesome or um, <laughs> whatever it is, I'll, I'll write back. Um, we do do some of the the club sort of programs that I have set up where I've got a partnership with a particular club. They send through videos and I review them. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it, it's quite a simple thing, you know, just a short snippet on Instagram, tag me in it, and I can send them through some feedback. So it, it's a nice way to engage. And sometimes you just literally need someone to either reassure you that maybe you made the right decision or maybe it's just a little tweak from a technical point of view. Yeah, that's awesome. And I'm as well uh, really interested to know about what's the kind of fitness and gym regime for a goalkeeper like compared to other positions on the hockey field? So we're more about, I guess, power and explosive movement, agility. Um, You need to be quick, that helps. But for us, it's more shorter spaces. So the furthest we would ever usually go would be to the top of the circle, which is about 16, 16 yards. Uh, so a lot of the work that we do is um, short, sharp agility work. Uh, so this morning, for example, I was in, in our heat chamber, so doing some aerobic work in there. But the beauty of it is that once you put the goalie gear on, if you get your heart rate up, it usually stays up because <laughs> of the heat and the fact that your body is covered in all this equipment so it can't cool down. So we still have a bit of a cardio base. I think that's important, one, from a training load perspective to be able to handle you know, training six days a week. Um, but also recovery. So I like to, I ride my bike as well. That's sort of outside of training. Um, nowadays it's on the wind trainer because I'm too scared if I have an accident that'll ruin my Olympics. Um, but yeah, I love going for a ride. Otherwise we just do, yeah, short, sharp stuff in the session. Yeah, in- yeah, interesting. All right, so you obviously have to have a strong aerobic base. I thought it was interesting how you made a comment before about how you just watch the others run. I guess, and so sort of in the gym, so because you, you're doing more power stuff, is that sort of like stuff like squats and hip thrusts to sort of really get that um, powerful actions in the game? Yeah, you sound like someone who goes to a goes to a gym. Can um, confirm. Never <laughs> never trained legs in my life, and I'm genuinely mean that. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, we we always do power stuff. So there's always a lift in there of some sort. You know, this morning I did like a bit of clean and jerk. We do a lot of cleans and snatch. And uh, I've done squats for many years, but I'm now 34 and my knees don't particularly like them. So I'm more around <laughs> leg press, uh, occasionally deadlift. But the strength stuff's really, really important, mostly from an injury prevention point of view. Um, I I love the gym and I don't think I've gone more than a week of, of like week off doing weights probably since I started my career and I truly believe that's why, touch wood, I've not had any major injuries because if you keep your body strong, you, you are able to maintain the training load and all the changes and at the end of the day, if you're not on the pitch, if you're not on the training track, it's pretty hard to improve, it's pretty hard to get picked um, and yeah, we've had lots of girls that have struggled with injuries. And I think if you do the hard yards before coming into a elite program like ours, it'll really put you in a good place to, to maintain a, a high level of training load. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's really, uh, kind of born fruit, I suppose, uh, like I'll just read out some of your accolades. Yeah, a couple of Commonwealth Games, gold medals, uh, 2016 Rio Olympics, of course, going to these Olympics as well. Uh, three gold medals, the Oceania Cup, Goalkeeper of the Year worldwide in uh, 2019, and a whole lot of other amazing awards. So, tell Thanks, us, Hubba. But maybe, <laughs> <laughs> but those Commonwealth Games, I'm really interested in because 
uh, for hockey, I suppose it might be a bit bigger than other sports because it's very much uh, like lots of the big countries in hockey are at the Commonwealth Games anyway because they're part of the Commonwealth. So what's the Commonwealth Games views like compared to the Olympics within the hockey world? I mean, it's the one event that we go into as favourites, so that that helps, um, <laughs> which there's not many others that we do, but we've got a really proud history at the Com Games of success. Uh, in the three that I've been to, two gold and a silver, the, the men are pretty similar. They've won a, won a lot of gold medals there. But, uh, in fact, the Dutch are the, the top team in hockey and they're not at the Com Games, so that's a bit of a blessing for us. Um, but I, I guess it's being a more intimate uh, event, Unlike the Olympics, you know, it is just the mini version of the Olympics. It's something that Australians are really proud of. Uh, we we have like a, you know, quite a tight-knit team and the Com Games is where we win a lot of medals. So the fact, you know, we had the um, Gold Coast Com Games, I think really shed a lot of light on, on, the, on the sporting um, success that we can have. And the same with Melbourne. We've had a couple of home games and it's it's just exciting. Australians really get around it. And for an athlete, it's it's awesome because it's not on the huge scale like the Olympics, but it's still a pretty special event. Yeah, and it must just be so special. Harper touched it off when he listed your many, many, many accolades. I think he won them for about a minute. There were so many, which is <laughs> unbelievable. But, yeah, so you won gold in 2010 and 2014. I guess what pride did you take winning a gold medal for your country? It was very special, uh, and I think the way that we did win them as well, that made a big difference. So 2010, we went to strokes or penalties, uh, and then 2014 was shootouts where they changed around a little bit. Um, the 2014 one was easily one of the most special moments for me, and ironically enough, the the highlight wasn't winning the gold. It was when we scored to equalise, so uh, we're playing GB or England, I can't remember which way they're termed at the Com Games, but uh, I, I hardly touched the ball. So they had a breakaway, they scored a goal, I hardly touched the ball the whole game. So I had to stand there knowing that we were 1-0 down. I couldn't do anything at all to help and the girls were just peppering up the other end and uh, we knew we should have won. And then with, I think it was like 11 seconds to go, we scored to equalise and that feeling, like even now just gives me shivers talking about it, I was up the other end of the pitch, but that feeling when we scored, I was just like, shit, yeah, you know, like I feel like we've won now. I knew we, when we went to shootouts, we'd, we'd be sweet. And um, it gave me an opportunity then to contribute because, yeah, as a goalie, yeah, I was pretty devo that I'd let that goal in and then to go to the shootouts meant that I could actually help. And, yeah, it worked out well. We ended up winning the goal. So. Yeah, it's interesting you talk about that because it just sort of made me think like in terms of like the goalkeeper position, it must just be so mentally tough and that you missed one goal. That might be your only opportunity for the game and you have to think about that for the next 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it is. And it just must be so tough, especially when you feel like you now can't have, I guess, a chance to have an outcome unless your team scores. Obviously, you've got that opportunity in the shootouts, but like when you're trying to score, you sort of felt it, it almost felt like you powerless. Is that correct? Is that? Yeah, 100%. And it, it's a it's a very unique position in that way and when you're kind of my age you can you can look at your performance and you can look at the game very um, objectively but for kids like how do you explain to a you know 12 year old that they've let three goals in but it's not their fault that the team lost and it's um you know I feel like you could do a PhD on it to the the psychology of goalkeeping because it's it's very complex and it's probably why we have a reputation of being like a bit of a nutcase but I'm trying to change that. (laughs) Well, don't worry if those kids are anything like me. I know as a defender in football, I, I always blame the mids. It's never the backman's <laughs> fault. So just blame the midfielders, blame everybody else. It's never the goalkeeper's fault in hockey either. And and it was interesting because looking at your story, you know, I saw gold um, in 2010, gold 2014. And then I saw in the middle that, hang on, you didn't obviously weren't selected in the 2012 Olympics, which must have been tough. And I had a read of, I think you did a journal, uh, journal like saw that, like you've never trained harder in your life and you missed out. Could you sort of describe that feeling of missing out on the Olympics and the amount of work that you actually put in to still unfortunately not be selected? It was really hard. I, I'd had some success, like you said, um, and that probably set me up a little bit to think that uh, I was on the path to go to the Olympics and it just doesn't work like that. And I've, I've learned a lot along the way. I think the 2008 Olympics, I was the youngest and was was never going to make it, but 2012 it really hurt and I guess I put my pressure, the pressure on myself to perform in that year and I just didn't. I only had a couple of opportunities. Right at the start of the year, we had a um, young goalkeeper, Ash Wells, come into the team. She had her opportunity. She played well and she jumped straight over the top of me and 
Um, she's not the one that went. She went into the reserve. But I think it's it showed me a couple of things. Uh, firstly, the the mental side of um, the, the way you think about yourself and your own belief. Um, that's really key because because I was just like I can remember vividly in the games I'd make one mistake and then the thought process for me was oh my god like that that's going to cost me my spot and what are the coaches going to say and you know and that while you're having those thoughts mid-game you're never going to perform and um the other side of that year for me was around working so normally in an olympic year we're not allowed to work or study so 2008 i didn't 2012 i didn't and then so when 2016 came around that was something i pushed really hard with my coach and said i need to work i i need something else because i don't want to think about hockey all the time um, and so I think the, the 2012 learning for me was how important that is. And I changed it. And I guess, yeah, I was fortunate that third time lucky, it, it helped me to get picked for Rio. Yeah. And it's, it's just going to be such a challenge, I imagine, on mentally and kind of even as a result, physically draining, still having to train just in case there's an injury being in that training squad. But, you know, 99%, maybe you're not going to be there, but you have to act like you are preparing for it. Is that right? It's brutal. So brutal. Uh, I've been on both sides and it's really hard because you, you're silently praying for one of your teammates to get injured, <laughs> um, which is not ideal, especially when you're a goalie because we can injure people very easily. Um, <laughs> but it's also harder for the goalies to get injured because we're protected. But, um, yeah, it's just this weird dynamic and it's helped me having been on that side to be a bit more sensitive when I have been selected and supportive of those girls, you know, checking in because it's hard. It's really hard. It's just a, a horrible thing to go through, but it's, it's part of the sport. Yeah, I think anybody involved in sport has obviously had, I guess, times where it hasn't gone their way. And I think it's interesting that you touched on before in terms of like your work because so your work as a nurse um, and, and I was, a really interesting comment that I saw was that you felt that working um, actually helped your sport, which is so funny in the world in which more and more sports are becoming like full-time, I guess, sort of Olympic sports, sort of like, you know, professional like AFL, um, AFLW is pushing to be more like professional and to be a full-time so that um, the women don't have to also work on the side. But you actually feel like that benefits your sport, like benefits your ability to play well. I really do. And uh, it's been something that I've battled with the whole way through because you're exactly right. Uh, coaches are like, well, of course, you just would do your sport. You know, if you've got the opportunity to do that, why wouldn't you do that? And I, for starters, we don't get paid enough to not work. So that is one part of it. But I just find that the, the sport itself is so consuming. We have selections all throughout the year. So once you're in the squad, it guarantees nothing. So every tournament we're selected a, a group to go away. And you're going to have setbacks, people have injuries, like it's just bloody hard being an elite athlete. So having that other stuff outside of it allows you to have a bit more of a purpose for a start. Uh, I think that's pretty key. Hopefully you're contributing to the community a little bit, but it's also you're not then defined by your sport. So, you know, if I miss out on a team, let's say the Olympics or whatever, I then go to work and I know I'm a bloody good nurse. So it's not like my world's just come crumbling down because I didn't get selected for a team. Being into such high pressure environments, I suppose, like one being an elite international athlete and one where you've um, kind of got people's lives <laughs> on the line, really people's health on the line, um, especially uh, I know Perth wasn't as effective as some other places, but dealing with COVID in uh, last year, especially, do you reckon – being at the top of world sport helps in your well helped in your nursing life because you're not in a, a nurse before and vice versa. <laughs> uh, look, I'll be honest. I, I picked an area of nursing that is a much slower pace, probably for that reason. Um, I I have you know the the hockey environment that's full on. I don't want to go to work and you know work in like an emergency ward where everything is just constantly changing and high pressure and all of that. So I've deliberately worked in um, the rehab space for the last 10 years. So I'm actually not working there anymore, but uh, I worked on a neuro rehab ward. So it was mostly stroke and MS, but these people would have a, have a stroke or an acute medical incident. They'd go to the hospital, they'd go through whatever needed to happen, whether it's surgery or um, a bit of recovery, then they'd come to us. 
So they come to us often stay for anywhere from, you know, a couple of weeks to, to up to a year sometimes. And their day would look similar to mine. They'd wake up in the morning, get ready, have their breakfast, have their meds, and then go to therapy. So maybe it was physio or OT or speech pathology, whatever, uh, speech therapy. Um, and, yeah, it was almost like an athlete's day. They had to go there. They had to train. The harder they worked, the better they recovered and the quicker they'd get out of there. So I liked that and um, I think I could very much relate to what they were doing, hopefully help motivate them a little bit. But it also meant that when I went away on tour, uh, I'd come back and there'd be similar patients there and I knew what happened. The day was pretty predictable. You know, we still had some acute medical stuff pop up every now and then, but I liked that environment where it was more controlled and predictable uh, as opposed to the hockey, which is a bit more full on. Did you get a bit more unpredictability during COVID? It's not, I don't know if it's directly related, uh, your field of nursing, but did you have to deal with COVID-related stuff at all? I did. I, when it first hit, so we stopped hockey altogether, and because of training, I only worked at the hospital one day a week. So picked up a few extra shifts initially and absolutely loved it. I was, I was so amped to get in there and help. Uh, we all had the opportunity to go home when COVID first hit, when the program stopped. But I, I, wanted, I was keen to stay and I thought, you know, this is kind of my calling a little bit. I'm a nurse and we're in a pandemic, so get me into the hospital. Uh, but funnily enough, there was there was no shifts. So we, we shut down a lot of wards in anticipation for this crisis that we're expecting. You know, we, we saw what was happening overseas and we thought the intensive care beds would just be overrun with um, COVID patients and it didn't happen. So it meant there was a lot of nurses who were moved to other areas um, and I, I couldn't get work. So I ended up moving uh, to a mining company and I looked after their COVID testing program, which was completely different to the hospital. Uh, so it's more a bit of a management role, but we were just doing, um, you know, thousands of tests a week on healthy individuals, but a preventative test. So very, very different, but it was, it was cool. I, I felt like I was really a part of the COVID um, campaign. You know, it allowed us to keep the mining industry running but certainly not frontline like a lot of the other nurses were doing and healthcare workers. Yeah, unreal, unreal. And I guess we'll, we'll go switching back to sort of your hockey journey. So as we touched on before, missed out on 2012 gold and uh, 2010 Commonwealth Games. And then I was heading into 2016 Olympics. You made the squad. I think you had pretty good form heading in, especially as a team, you know, won silver, the world championships. Is that correct? And yep. yeah, but what was it like though, making your first Olympic Games? <laughs> It was pretty cool. I put in a lot of effort that year, as I said to you, wanting, doing the work. Um, I randomly, I, I had a sponsor who was a um, chicken farmer. <laughs> <laughs> so can, I got him a plug. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, the weird thing was they, yeah, they had like organic chickens, right? So I, they used to give me a chicken every week to eat <laughs> god hope there's no vegans or vegetarians <laughs> listening to your show well actually beside... harper's a vegetarian <laughs> oh sorry oh uh, yeah well, mind. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> sorry harper i'll get to the point of my story um <laughs> i actually just so i built up a, it was a, a couple that owned this farm and uh used to catch up with them every week at the market and i made a comment one day or he said to me how many how many days and this was obviously in the lead up to the olympics and I was like, how many days to what? And he's like, now, come on, how many days to the Olympics? Like, you've got to see yourself there, you know, all of this. And it was kind of just a bit random because it was a very life coachy kind of comment. Anyway, he's like, well, let's catch up for coffee and talk about it. So we caught up for coffee and he was really into this, um, uh, well, affirmations. In the end, we ended up writing a list of these sort of positive affirmations for me. Uh, he helped me put it together and it became uh Every morning, every night, I, I read the, this list and it was not long. No one else ever saw it. So if, if you read through it, it would almost sound a little bit kind of arrogant, what, the wording of it, but it was, it was almost like training my brain to believe that, I, that I'm there and that I'm good enough and all of those things. So that was part of my routine and it was purely from um, this guy who was the chicken farmer <laughs> who really helped me and it, it allowed me, because that training, as you can imagine, uh, three goalies, they only take one. And I'd already been through two Olympic cycles where I'd missed out. So this paranoia of over um, uh, overthinking things, you know, like the other goalie would make a good save and then you're like, oh, shit, like, you know, I need to do that or 
um, the coach would say something like, well, what does that mean? Is that like a hidden message? And these affirmations and I guess the self-talk allowed me to come back to me every time. And it was just like back to me, back to me, you know, focusing on my job. And it really made a huge difference. And it, and it taught me, I guess, the importance of having your own self-belief because the coaches will never give it to you. Like, yeah, they'll select you, but you can't rely on them to feed that sort of belief to you because otherwise you end up on this roller coaster. So you have to be able to have it yourself. And going through that uh, in 2016 is actually what's helped me recently uh, with some of the stuff that's been going on with, you know, my being kicked out of the team and whatever, because as I came back in, it was exactly the same. It's about how can you control your mind, making sure you have that belief in yourself. Because the whole way through, I, I knew that I was doing the right thing. I knew that I was good enough. Um, and it's being able to shut out that sort of noise of, of everything else. Yeah, that, that was a corker cool of a story. And it's a really great mentality to develop, I suppose. And, but taking back to the start of that story, how, how do you become sponsored by a chicken farmer? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, um, these days it's really hard to get sort of financial sponsorship. We're a low-profile sport. We, we don't have a heap to offer companies as far as branding and exposure. So I sort of changed my tactic a little bit and went, well, rather than asking for money, uh, I, I sort of approach companies and say, well, or, you know, organisations, individuals and say, well, something small that you can offer me, for example, some sort of food. So I, I don't have that partnership anymore, but I do have one with a, a beef farmer and a, a butcher and, you know, they're a multi-million dollar farm down south in the Sterling, Ra- Sterling Ranges. So for them to give me, you know, 20 $25 worth of meat a week, maybe that's sort of three steaks or um, whatever that might be, that makes a huge difference to me because it means I'm eating, you know, quality. Again, sorry, Harper, to go on about all the meat. <laughs> but, um, all good, all good. <laughs> quality protein and iron and all the things that I need across my week to eat healthy. Um, but for them, you know, three bits of steak is, is nothing. So I guess I take that approach. It's about building relationships Um letting them know that they can influence an athlete and my journey in a really big way. And it takes pressure off too. You know, it means I don't have the financial pressure of that part of my diet. Um, and yeah, it just, uh, it's a slightly different approach, but it's worked really well for me and people are really keen to help when it's rather than saying, can you give me 10 grand? It's like, Hey, I, I want to partner with you and I'll promote you. But all I need is this really small um, commitment from you. Genius. That's actually, that's actually an unreal idea. That's such a creative, uh, I guess, solution to obviously a tough problem <laughs> with getting sponsorship. I love that. <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I guess getting back on track with the um, the hockey. So, like, what were what were your first games like? like you gave a great story of uh, this bloke who's got on his LinkedIn life coach one chicken farmer two. You've got to, <laughs> you've got to the games. Like, what was it like to be there in Rio with the team? Quite unique. The um, uh, Rio Olympics was a little bit of a shambles, but. Um, yeah, as I said, the Commonwealth Games is a really good introduction and Olympics is just a bigger scale of that. You know, like to go into a food hall that seats 5,000 people, like you just can't even really describe that. And I love uh, people watching and to sit there and watch what different athletes eat is fascinating. You know, the like seven-foot volleyballers and then you've got the tiny gymnasts and the massive weightlifters and so that side was cool. Obviously, it's a bit of there's a lot of hype around the actual village and the event itself. But walking out onto the pitch uh, was pretty special. I had my my family there, and I think the fact that I'd missed out on the other two meant that I was a bit older and probably more equipped to handle the, the pressures um, that come with an Olympics. And I, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. We, we actually didn't do that well, which was um, hard to take. But I remember coming off the pitch after a couple of our losses and we were devastated and you go and see your family and they were just so amped because they're just so proud of you, you know, just happy to be there, getting amongst the drinks and, and all the Aussie crowd and it's just like it puts it in perspective and, um, yeah, I, I did have to kind of think sometimes it's like, well, obviously you want to go there and win but uh, if you don't, you're still a part of something that's pretty special. 
Yeah, unreal. And we're sure that you'll go uh, a bit better in uh, Tokyo. We're sure yes. you'll go from sixth to gold. No fingers yes. crossed. We're we're ver- we're very confident here, and we I love you. Thanks. And we com- we love your uh, your comment about the dining hall because like we've had like a guest that said I like, heard breakfast every day was steak and rice and stuff like that. So it is interesting <laughs> what all the different athletes eat. I think Harper has a follow up question to that. Yeah, well, uh, at the start of that, you mentioned 2016 Rio Olympics, a shambles. So. Why, why was it a shambles? Why, what was so shambolic about it? I mean, it's a country that's probably not equipped to deal with an event like that. Uh, they did manage pretty well. Uh, but the hard thing is, and we had the same thing, thing in India when we had the Commonwealth Games in India, you go there and they're just like not really ready. Uh, from a security point of view, they have to ramp it up so far that um, it almost feels like excess levels. And it's like, well, if you're having to do that, it's because you're worried about things are going to go wrong. And Rio, for us, we're actually quite lucky. Like there's so many um, <clears throat> steps involved in keeping us safe. But the big fear for me was there was no guarantee for my family. And um, uh, that added a bit of extra pressure. Like obviously whenever you travel, you're taking risks. But I knew that we were fine. It was just that sort of worry of, well, you know, there's lots of violence over there and crime and, and different things that uh, might affect my family. So it was actually, it was, it was pretty good all in all, but I think going into countries that are almost a little bit third world, it's just, it puts so much pressure on them to um, create a high level event that sometimes it doesn't go that well, but they did all right. <laughs> but getting into this kind of later stage of your career, is there more of a hesitancy to, uh, in your mind to going to these kind of third world countries that aren't really equipped to host these kinds of things and potentially like high crime rates, um, dangerous situations potentially? Not really. We, we travel a lot and um, obviously everything's changed now with COVID. But, for example, we go to Argentina um, nearly every year and there's a lot of challenges over there. But we are sometimes a little bit naive, but maybe it's a bit of a a blissful ignorance that we we travel around and obviously you have to be smart but sometimes just having a bit more of a confidence in the way that you you carry yourself can also help you to avoid avoid um some issues but we are always very well looked after from a security point of view but it's just like everyone if you're smart when you travel you know not wearing fancy jewelry not carrying too much money all of those things it's just you can get by. You just got to be just got to be clever about it. So I will never turn down an opportunity to go to any country because it's just like, well, that's part of the experience, part of the um, the learning and the the benefit of doing what we do. Well, that travel tips with Rachel. So don't stick out like a sore <laughs> thumb. I like it. I like it. And I guess and so yeah. So obviously, 2016, awesome. by the Olympics. 2019, uh, goalkeeper of the year. 2020, though, cut from the Australian squad. I mean. How what, a that? Oh, what a timeline. Oh, what a <laughs> But it's, it's like a movie. It's like a movie. But it's like, it just must have been such a shock at the end of last year, just a year after being the international, not Australia goalkeeper, the international goalkeeper of the year to be cut from the Australian squad. Yeah, it was a little bit of a shock. Um, there was heaps going on in our program at that time. And I did have a bit of an inkling something bad was going to happen. I didn't know whether it would involve me. I knew it would involve a couple of the senior girls. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's been a really rough road. I, um, yeah, wasn't expecting it. It com- came completely out of nowhere. Um, and, yeah, I guess the thing that hurt the most was it wasn't necessarily just about my performance. It was towards um, what they termed my behaviour. And I guess as someone who prides myself on um, my care, my kindness, my contribution to the team, my selflessness, um, that really hurt me. So it was, um, yeah, a a bit of a battle, obviously, went went through an appeal, um, had to essentially defend myself um, with the help of of lawyers. You know, I had an incredible legal team, um, Lavin Legal, who did a pro bono for myself and Georgie, who... Um, was kicked out of the team and uh, we fought really hard and I'm very grateful. I, I keep a, a diary and I write, you know, I write notes about all of my games and all that sort of stuff, but I also just keep, you know, little notes about things and um, that, that really helped me because I could go back and go, well, hang on a minute, what you're saying is not actually correct and, and here's 
my evidence and um, I'm really proud that we got through that. We both won our appeals. Um, you know, I think the term was, uh, for my appeal in particular, was no reasonable person could have made that decision. So to read that and understand that, you know, it, it was just not true. What, what was being said uh, made me feel really good and it was just like, yeah, I know I am a good person. I am a bloody good hockey player. Um, you just made a really, really bad mistake. Yeah, well, I can – there's so much to unpack there. I mean, I can just – well, in terms of the quality of person, you know, I think um, – I'm sure like athletes, they get a lot of messages like podcast requests. And I think you just have a look at Spotify. You've been so generous with your time doing so many different podcasts, being so generous with like helping people out, like us, which we're so appreciative of. You know, I think you can tell like every single comment, sort of an article is out, your positive attitude. So I'm sure to Harper and I are both listening, it's quite shocking that that's something that they brought up because I think from just – if anybody looks up – Lynch, I think the number one thing that people look up would be the quality of person. So that's that's such Thanks, a that's such a shock. Yeah. <laughs> like so, like what, so was that the main reason that they said for cutting you from the squad? Was that? Yeah, it was just um, it was two uh, really really small incidents, um, and you know I won't go into too much detail. But one of them, for example, was. I raised some queries around mental health. We had some things going on within the group. I'm someone who is very proactive with my mental health and I'm an advocate for Are You OK and Lifeline and um, ambassador for those. So it was something that I raised. To want, I just wanted to make sure that there was some sort of like clear confidentiality that people were being supported and I raised something in the meeting and um, that was then, you know, used against me, unfortunately. But uh, it's, it's just... You know, when I look back on this whole experience, uh, again, I'm essentially grateful that I went through it because it's made me so much stronger. Uh, I felt like I was pretty strong before, but now having been through that, I had my own mental health journey. Like it it took me to a really, really dark place and I've never had that before, Um, but I was open about it. I, I reached out. I had some incredible supporters through the whole thing. You know, my teammates for a start, they really supported us the whole time. Um, and as I said, you know, the legal team, my family, um, but, you know, teammates that were and friends that were checking on me like literally every day or every two days and even my, my workplace, mineral resources who that was my reason for getting out of bed in the morning, going and helping with the COVID space. And, uh, I still trained the whole way through and, um, I'm pretty proud of myself for that because that's allowed me to then when I did get back in to be in a really good place to, to push for selection and, here we are. Yeah, here we are, I suppose, and go, going to the Olympics, which we just could not be happier about, really. But just, like, it's been labelled by heaps of people, really, for the Hockey Roos, the most tumultuous period ever for the Hockey Roos. And I guess you're at the centre of it all. There's people who've lost their jobs over it, all, all kinds of craziness going on, really. And being one of the most experienced players in the team, the best player in the world in your position – uh, and like just an awesome personality, which is evident for anyone who's ever spoken to you. I've, we've been speaking for what, 40 minutes or something. I can see that. Um, and standing up for your teammates and it's, it's just bananas really losing your spot over that. And the, the appeal process, what goes through the appeal process really? What goes into that? Um, yeah. So to your first point, um, when I stayed on after Rio, a lot of my, or a lot of the girls my age, a lot of my close friends moved on and uh, retired. And my sole objective for staying around was to help, I guess, firstly leave a little bit of a legacy, but also to help get the, put the hockey roos in a really good place, um, and you know, better than when I arrived, essentially. Uh, so for me, the focus on giving back to the team was really strong for me. And that was something that was challenged. And it's just like, oh, hang on a minute. I'm not here for me. I'm, I'm proud of the fact I went to the Olympics. I've got some gold medals, silver medals, World Cups. I've achieved almost literally everything I wanted to achieve. Olympic gold would be pretty cool, but uh, that's not that wasn't my motivation for staying. So, yeah, to have that challenged, um, that's why it hurt so much. So I think a lot of the change that happened, you know, there was plenty of things that did need to change, Um uh, unfortunately, yes, yeah, some people lost their jobs and the structure of um, our program is it does look a little bit different now and um, for, the, for the better. We're, we've got some, some great people there and sometimes change does have to happen and I guess for me it was like a little bit that um, 
we were almost the sacrificial lambs a little bit, but I was okay with that, you know, if if it meant that the way for this team to move forward and progress and move into a positive space involved me being out of the team, well, okay, um, if that's what it'll take, that that's okay. But I also then wanted to, I guess, finish my career in a way that I could be really proud of, not like that, um, where just out of the blue I was removed from the team with, you know, no sort of celebration or anything of my career or anything like that. So now I'm at a point where I feel really comfortable and really content that, um, you know, that our, our team is heading in the right direction and that helps me to sleep at night knowing that um, some positive stuff's happening and the hockey roos are back on track. Yeah, yeah, just unreal. And I guess, and just on that appeals process, which I can only imagine how stressful, like for people listeners, I know like studying like admin law last year, like the unreasonability test, it's like it has to be like, so no unreasonable person would have made that decision. So the threshold is quite high. So for that to be proven, it says it says a lot. And and the report, the um, the inquiry, which Harper touched on, I think they labeled the culture as dysfunctional, which is obviously pretty tough. But have you seen like an improvement in the culture of like, the team, especially like new coach for the new for the Olympics? Like, have you noticed a, a marketable increase? Yeah, and I, you know, as players, we we try and just focus on our day to day and the, and the things that we can influence. And you know, from an organisation point of view, there's lots of changes, and there'll be heaps more that'll happen. But uh, yeah, trainee coming in has brought a really positive vibe. I guess the main thing I noticed when I first came back in was the amount of laughter. There's just so much laughter in the group and we work very, very hard when we're on the pitch, but um, you want to be able to have a laugh as well in meetings. But essentially just be yourself. And I found that really hard throughout my career to be myself because I felt like, you know, I wanted to work and then I had to kind of fight that battle a little bit and various things. But for the girls to uh, relax, enjoy themselves, um, that's how you're going to play your best. Uh, you don't want to try and be moulded into something that you're not and feeling tense and uptight whenever you're at hockey. And, and now I feel like we, we really have that and, and Trini is embracing that and wants people to bring their talent, not to just be part of this kind of um, machine or, or whatever you want to term it. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely heading in the right direction. Yeah, and the new coach, uh, Katrina Powell, first female coach in the history of the Hockey Roos, um, and <laughs> I love to give him a bit of celebration there. And when we were speaking to Alison Annan last year, uh, obviously there hadn't been a female coach in the history of the Hockey Roos. She was approached uh, – oh, sorry, she, I don't think she was approached. She wanted the job um, a few years ago but didn't get it. But what's it like now uh, being coached by a woman, which is just something obviously that's never happened in the Hockey Roos system? I think it's something that's been missing. Um, we do have a bit of a history of uh, the coaches being involved with the Kookaburras, which, you know, is fine. Like playing at a high level and achieving great things is is cool, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know how to coach females. Um, and I think it is, a, it is a unique environment and it, it's not the same as the men. Um, the, the scenario or the, I guess, environment itself is the same in the structure is very similar, but um, coaching females is different to coaching men. So I, I, I think it's great that we have training involved. We've had a female assistant coaches in the past, but it's nice to have the, the sort of leader of the group being a female and, and hopefully it'll head that way. I mean, Alison, like you said, I think she has um, tried a couple of times. It's like, oh, what a total boss. Imagine having her as our coach, like get her back here. She's achieved what she needs to achieve with the Dutch. We're ready. <laughs> yeah, number one in the world, the Dutch, obviously. So I guess they'd be the big favourites coming into it. But uh, are you feeling confident heading into these Olympics? What are your goals for the team? I, I think so. It, it could be – it's going to be very open. We've had a period of time where no one's really seen each other. We had the Euros recently, so we got to watch a little bit of hockey there where we've played New Zealand. But normally you'd be playing each other regularly in the build-up, whereas we haven't had that or, or done that. So people have probably kept things pretty close to their chest. So it's going to be who handles the pressure the best, who who can adapt quickly because, uh, you know, you can come up with really solid game plans and do your scouting and your preparation. But this time it's going to be get out there, start playing, and then make changes based on what they do and, you know, what we need to do. So uh, confident we can get a medal, but it's going to take a lot of, you know, things to fall into place. And the Dutch are always going to be a huge challenge for us. But Olympics, it's you've just got to perform every minute of every game or it'll slip away from you. So hopefully we can do that. 
has the team spoken about a specific goal in the lead up? Like, God, get this or else it's a failure? Uh, we have uh, the medals is pretty key. It's kind of like one of those things where, you know, when you do goal setting, you don't want to set an outcome goal, you want to process goals. But at the end of the day, if we don't get a medal, uh, hockey in Australia for women is going to be in real strife from a funding point of view. I think we know that. We don't make a big fuss out of it, but we, we really need to get a medal over there in order to secure funding and um, things for the future of, of the Hockey Roos. Mm, just having a look at the rankings now, you've got Netherlands way out on top and then this kind of big cluster of teams. So it's Argentina, Germany, Australia. Australia ranked fourth in the world. So it's really uh, anyone's anyone's game uh, for the three medal spots. Really, uh, the Dutch will probably be pretty unhappy with anything less than goals. But uh, I think, yeah, it's going to be a really exciting uh, tournament, really. But Lockie, I think you've got a question, Matt? Yeah, I was just going to ask about sort of, I guess, like, it must be exciting in the fact that there's eight um, out of the 16 in the squad are Olympic debutants, which is like super young. Like there's a 19 year old, I think, playing in her first games, one of the youngest ever to represent Australia at the Olympics in hockey. I mean, it must just be so exciting to have such a young team. Yeah, and she's uh, a Victorian too. Come on, represent. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Uh, uh, yeah, Amy is a superstar. She's, she is young, but she's. Um, been around for a little bit and she's going to be, you know, one of the best in the world in the future for sure. The the youth and enthusiasm is fantastic. We've also got a bit of a, a mix of experience and um, I think that combination is going to work really well for us because going over there, you know, you don't want people that are stressing and overthinking things. Sometimes coming in a bit blind and and not really knowing can be a, can be a good thing. So, I um, yeah, I'm excited for those girls. Unfortunately, it's going to be very, very different as an Olympics goes. But uh, I think we're just all grateful to be able to actually go and um, still compete because, you know, it could have been called off a long time ago. Yeah, and so we're, we're calling it so, – sorry, Alison, but we're backing uh, Rachel in to get uh, to get gold. So Australia's <laughs> winning gold. What are your plans post-Olympics? Uh, good question. Two weeks quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> That's as far forward as you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, by, my, uh, by myself, they, um, there's going to be no exemptions for athletes coming back from the Olympics. We have to do what everyone else does coming in internationally. Uh, we don't even know what state. They've just said the charter flights could turn up in Brisbane, Sydney or Melbourne. But uh, other than that, not too sure. My, um, my brother and his family just moved over to Perth literally on Thursday. So I'll be excited to get back and hang out with my two-year-old nephew, Isaac. Um, obviously, I'll have work to come back to, but hopefully I'll maybe be doing a bit of a speaking tour and promoting my new gold medal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed. And like Lockie said, we're very, very confident of a uh, good gold medal or a medal at least for the Aussies. But uh, you touched on it before, your ambassador work for Lifeline and uh, you're okay, which I I guess it's just really testament to your great character uh, supporting that stuff. So how, how did you get into um, that ambassadorial role? Are You Okay was the first one. Uh, I had a friend who just connected me with them. I actually hadn't heard of them when I first started and they were looking for an athlete ambassador, but really was drawn to their messaging. I think it's um, just such a simple message. It's not about sort of raising money. It's more around awareness and something that, even though I've got my nursing background, uh, anyone can apply it. It's just having conversations, checking in on your mates, uh, looking after yourself. Um, and, yeah, I've tried to implement a lot of that into the Hockey Roos. And then now with Lifeline as well, I, I joined the um, Lifeline Community Custodians Program, which is linked up with the AIS. And um, that's been a slightly different uh, avenue because IUOK is more around the prevention, whereas Lifeline is a service to help people that are in crisis. So got some really cool training out of that. Um, I'm currently doing the push-up challenge as a fundraiser for that too. So uh, a massive number of push-ups. I've already done about 40 or 50 this morning. I've got another 60 or so to go, but it's just great to, you know, get involved in these sort of organisations and use the sort of small profile that I do have to, to pr promote mental health and, and awareness around it. How did your um, mental health journey with the whole uh, axing stuff that we talked about before, how, how did that change the way you uh, approach, I guess, those two roles and uh, yeah, kind of execute the way you do things? Uh, it didn't change too much, actually. I, I found during that time uh, I was just literally trying to practice what I preach and despite the fact that I've never been through any sort of mental health 
I wouldn't call it a crisis, but you know what I mean, anything acute. I'm still very much um, about being honest. If people ask me, are you okay in general, and I'm not, I will say that I'm not. And um, we've got a really good culture within the Hockey Roos and I would say my sort of close network as well where using that language just becomes normal that if someone asks you that question, they really firstly want to know and they are caring and concerned for you. So you feel safe enough to answer it really honestly. And I noticed when I first started going through this axing, the, the language that people were using with me made me really proud. You know, like I had people that I wasn't even that close to just saying, here's my phone number. Like if you need to just have a chat, I'm here to listen and support. And um, so that was really special and I guess proud of the work that I've done because it, it showed me that, um, you know, I've, I've sort of made a bit of an impact in that space. Um, but then it also then helped me in that moment where I knew that I had people that were really jumping in and, and supporting me and, uh, the other side of it was I was already seeing a psychologist and I, I saw that um, as an important part of my own just sort of men, mental health and well-being and more of a preventative, but um, she was really key in my journey as well to help support me through. Yeah, amazing. Like we absolutely commend your work. And I think I think sometimes when you do go through those tough times, dark times, sorry, it is really amazing the amount of support and amount of love that you get from people and it really just makes it so much easier. So yeah, and I guess we'll go to our final question before our very famous last segment. And it's just <laughs> life philosophy. Is there any few words that you sort of live your life by? Oh, that's deep. Um <laughs> it's as deep as a- you make it. <laughs> uh Normally in a hockey space, my advice uh, in general and what I live by is just to be a sponge and like soak everything in, you know, listen, learn, absorb as much as you can, but then squeeze out the stuff that doesn't apply to you or that, that doesn't work for you. Um, but as a general rule with life, uh, it's just so like be kind. Uh, you know, that's sort of what I try and do and be kind to people. You know, my, a few people asked me how I celebrated the actual Olympic announcement. Uh, we found out on the Friday and then it wasn't public till the Monday and Saturday night. I, I just planned the weekend to be by myself because I actually didn't think I was going to get picked. Um, so I wanted to be by myself. And then when I did, it was like, well, a great opportunity for me to reflect. So Saturday night I ordered some Japanese takeaway, walked into Northbridge. I was sitting there waiting for it to be um, cooked or prepared or whatever and these these two homeless guys came over and and just started they sat near me and were just chatting and uh you know I had my runners on and he was like oh you got you know cool shoes and he had some cool Nikes on so we're talking about that and um just got chatting anyway my food came I grabbed it I went down the street ordered two kebabs came back gave it to these guys I also bought a bag of like some deodorant and some snacks and stuff because you know they told me their story of why they were living on the street uh, and just sat there and, and had, a, had a meal with them. So that was my <laughs> Olympic celebration evening. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah, no, no better way to celebrate, of course. But uh, we, we go from this uh, really, traditionally at the end of the show, we go from the really deep question to the least deep segment imaginable. <laughs> of course, it is the Where Do We Begin quiz, and I'll hit the music. Yeah, I love that little theme tune. Uh, nice. Been playing over the Zoom recently, which really builds the intensity, really gets everyone hyped up. Uh, but of course, uh, if you haven't heard the show before, uh, our last segment, uh, it's of course the quiz. So I've got five questions uh, for you and uh, you, Rachel, and you, Lockie, that all have some loose connection uh, to Rachel's career. So uh, your name is your buzzer. So just buzz in with Rachel or Lockie, of course, and we'll get started with question one. Ready to go, guys? My time yep. to shine. <laughs> Game on, lucky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so of course we'll start with question one. So, am I correct in saying this isn't the actual question? But am I correct in saying your birthday is the second of July? Yes. Okay. So another thing that happened on the second of July, second of July, twenty seventeen. Actually, Donald Trump tweeted an edited wrestling video of himself attacking which news network? <laughs> Yours, Lockie. <laughs> Gee whiz, I've got... <laughs> well, which, which news network do you think Donald Trump might be attacking? Oh. American news network. Yeah. No, no idea. <laughs> no NBC, idea. I don't know. <laughs> well, the answer is uh, CNN. 
Oh. There you go. There you go. <laughs> pretty pretty famous one actually. I thought I thought you two might have been in with the shot with that. But then also big shout out to um Stacey Heimer, who also shares your birthday, second of July. If she's nice. listening, uh, our first guest in the Olympic series, Taekwondo. Uh, oh, cool. for um going to Tokyo, which would be great. But we'll move awesome. to question two. So uh, growing up in Warrandyte and now living in Perth, uh, you've grown up and lived near uh, a couple of famous rivers, of course, uh, the Yarra <laughs> in Warrandyte and the Swan River in Perth. Uh, th- those rivers, fairly long, pretty famous rivers, but there are some longer rivers. So um, I'm going to, I've got a list of the five longest rivers in the world. You can buzz in how many of the times you want, and I'll give the point uh, to the first person to name three of the five longest rivers in the world. Oh, okay. Rachel. Oh, you go, Rachel. Uh, I think the guest can just go got first. In. The guest can go first. Thanks, thanks. Uh, the Nile? The Nile is correct. <laughs> to be honest, I was thinking the Nile, but then I also thought, like, wait, is that just like in ancient Egypt? Has <laughs> it dried up? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, right, the Nile is the longest in the world, but uh, four more. That oh, someone, Rachel, Lockie? you're going to get two more. Lockie, oh, no, you three. go, Lockie. You go. Lockie, I'll you go, go Amazon. Amazon is also correct. Second longest. 6,387 kilometers. Decent length. I reckon I reckon the third longest uh, is it um Victoria Falls. You don't have to go in order, by the Victoria way. Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe? Is that Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe is incorrect. <laughs> oh. I think Victoria Falls, the clues in the name, it's a waterfall. Oh, you know, you know the uh, river that fall, you know the river that goes into it. I don't know. <laughs> You tried, you tried. Maybe, yeah, I guess the river must go into it. Not sure what it is, but uh, it might be one of the answers if you want to have a guess. Gosh, can I open disclosure? Quiz nights make me so anxious because it makes me feel really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I feel every single time Harper does this. Don't you worry. (laughs) Don't don't feel dumb. The questions are pretty hard. It's hard to get a bit of a connection between the guest and the question. So they sometimes gotcha. are a bit too tricky. But do you want, do you want to have a crack? Uh, there, there are three more. If either of you can get two of them, give you the point. Oh, gosh. Or, and you know uh, what? Who, if one of you can name one more, I'll give you the point. The Whoever Thames. names the next one. I don't know. That's the, short, the Thames is I think. incorrect. <laughs> do, you, do, you I, I the, the do you reckon the Murray River? Do you reckon the, the Murray River? It wouldn't even be the longest. Harbour yeah, do the, the Murray. The do Murray it. River. <laughs> The Murray River uh, is also incorrect. The next three uh, in third place, uh, the Yangtze, uh, 6,380 kilometres. And then, of course, we've got the Mississippi uh, in fourth place. And number five, never heard of this one, the Yenisei. Uh, the Yenisei. So Man. there you go. Mate, um, we're never going to get that. Nah. <laughs> what a shame. We can, uh, but we'll we move to. to qu- uh, we'll move to question three. Teamwork. So, teamwork. <laughs> still, still nil all. Um, so hopefully someone can get the point here. So I'm going to read out the lyrics. Uh, Lockie loves this type of question. I'm going to read out the lyrics to the song that was number one in Australia on the 29th of June 2006, which was actually the date that you made your debut for the Hockey Rules nice. against England. So uh, first person to obviously buzz in gets it right. Uh, you can buzz in whenever you want, but uh, once you've got it wrong, you can't go again. So I'm just going to start reading the lyrics. I never really knew that she could dance like this. She make a man want to speak Spanish. Oh, Com- Rachel. Rachel? Uh, como se llama? I forgot I know the words. <laughs> um, Shakira. Uh, Shakira, Shakira. This- <laughs> That's yeah. all I know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll keep going. You haven't given me an answer, so I'll let you buzz in again if you want, but I'll keep going. Uh, yeah, you did some more of the lyrics for me there. Como se llama bonita? Mi casa su casa. Oh, baby, when you talk like that, you make Lockie, me Lockie. go mad. Talk, Lockie, is it talk like that? Talk like that, I'm afraid, is incorrect. Got to be early there, I think, mate. Uh, I'll keep going. Uh, Rachel's uh, the only one that can answer now. So uh, you make a woman go mad. So be wise and keep on reading the signs of my body. No can fighting. you sing it? That would help. Can you yeah. sing it a bit better? <laughs> the, the last guest answered that as well. But uh, I think a few more people need to buy us a coffee on our Buy Me A Coffee page if I want to be doing that. Uh, but uh, I'll, move, I'll move to the next section. Uh, I'm on tonight. You know my hips don't lie. Oh. I'm starting to feel it's right. All the attraction, the tension. Don't you see, baby? This is perfection. I've, I've Ra- got Rachel, it. Rachel, have you got it? I've got it. Nah, I don't know the actual. You don't know it. Well, I know the song. Okay. I just don't know it's what it's the, called. It's, it's don't lie, isn't it? 
it is hips don't lie, which is ah. correct. But I can't <laughs> give you the point, I'm afraid, because you already got it wrong, Lockie. Oh. So that's a bit of a shame. But so we're still locked at nil all. Uh, <laughs> riveting battle. This is a riveting battle. <laughs> Yeah, riveting battle of free-flowing, high-scoring affair. This is a goal. Ke- this is a goalkeeper's dream. Nice and defensive, low scoring. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, move to question four. Hopefully, someone can get it here. Of course, your initials are RL. Uh, so another famous RL uh, is RL Stein. So the great man RL Stein has written two hundred and thirty-five books in which children's horror Lucky. series? Goosebumps. Lucky? There we go. First point of the game. Absolutely correct. Goosebumps. <laughs> Very nice. Classic series. 235 books, uh, which is amazing, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Great read. Uh, great we're, read. We're up to our last question, but Rachel's actually still in it because it's a who am I question. So I'm going to go down from five points all the way down to one point with a series of clues, of course, leading to who I am. Uh, and once you buzz in, you can't buzz in again until – the other person gets it wrong. So I'll start with the five-point clue. For five points, the child of a former farm owner and sugarcane tycoon and a physiotherapist, I was born on the 2nd of July in 1990. Move to the four-point clue. An energetic child, I was constantly putting on shows in my house located in a country town. And this is a quote from me in April 2018. I was really dramatic. I made my family pay to watch my magic shows and double if they wanted to know how I did the tricks. <laughs> <laughs> Move to the three-point clue because uh, neither of you need a four-pointer. Uh, so for three points, since starring in two low-budget independent thriller, fil- thriller films called Vigilante and ICU, I've received nominations for two Oscars, four Golden Globes, and five BAFTAs. I'll uh, move to the two Rachel. point clues. Rachel, you, do you want to have a go now? Okay, go for the uh, three pointer. Nicole Kidman, I don't know. <laughs> Nicole Kidman is incorrect, mm. I'm afraid. Uh, so you buzzed yourself out there. So, so it's all Lockies now. He can get a 3 0 win if he gets it here. So for the two point clue, I played Donna Friedman in Neighbours for 353 episodes. Any idea, Lockie? Or do you want to have a guess to let Rachel back into it? <laughs> Oh, I'm not so, sure why you do that, but feel free. You know what? I'm a I'm a fair person. I'll um, I'll like just that. I've got it's no awesome I've got no idea who it is. So all I know is so 1990, um, and as a also obviously Australian because they're on Neighbours. Uh yeah. Uh, uh, I've that, got yeah. no idea who's a 30 year old Australian actress that's been nominated for like Golden Globes, and I've got no idea. It's not Margot Robbie, but I'll just go Margot Robbie in the name of the sport. Margot Robbie is absolutely correct. Oh, what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she hasn't got, nice, has she got Oscar nominations. <laughs> she has got Oscar nominations. Uh, of course, uh, next clue was she was in The Wolf of Wall Street, uh, ah. one of Time Magazine's 100 Most Influential People. Uh, great Margot Robbie. I think, Lockie, we spoke about her in another quiz. I'm not sure if she was an answer, but she was another recent one. But anyway, congratulations, Lockie. Another good win for you. How are you feeling, Matt? Good things happen to good people. <laughs> <laughs> So I was trying yeah, to do the right. I was trying to do the right thing, off, and then that's that's what happened. Selfless, selfless. <laughs> There's a lesson to all our listeners. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, another great quiz. But anything else for Rachel before we let her go, Lockie? I'd just like to thank you so much for coming on. It was such a such a ball, and can't wait to watch you at the Olympics and win gold. And we'll be claiming it as our own god, won't we, Hart? <laughs> Oh, yeah, of course we will. Thanks so much, Rachel. Being awesome. Absolute blast. And, yeah, thanks for having me. And you guys are legends. So hopefully we can do it again maybe when I've got a gold medal. How good was that, Harps? You know, I'm just getting goosebumps. You know, we covered so many interesting topics from the controversy at the end of last year to all Rachel's achievements. You know, it was an absolute cracking episode and I could not be more thankful that she came on the show. Yeah, and the, that range of topics was really, really awesome to see. I did not think we'd ever be talking about chicken farmers on this uh, podcast, but there you go, another milestone for the show. And it was just really great having Rachel on. So thanks again, Rachel. Thanks to you guys all for listening. And of course, if you want to help us out, we've got no sponsors. Uh, we're not taking any grubby sponsor money during this Olympics series. So what we're doing is having a bit of an initiative online at our Buy Me A Coffee page, which is buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin. If you've got any spare change lying around, $2, 
million, whatever you want to donate to the show to keep our operation running smoothly and at all, really. We'd really, really appreciate that. So you can check it out at buymeacoffee.com forward slash where do we begin, Lockie. A couple other things to plug just quickly. Yeah, I'll plug the social media, not on the chicken farm, although I would love to know his contacts <laughs> as he sounds like an absolute ripper, but I'll plug our own social. So you can find us on Facebook at Where Do We Begin? And you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at WDWB Pod. You know, we love all the support we can get. So yeah, we love every follow, every like, every message. You know, we appreciate all the love and uh, support. You know, I'd like to thank Rachel again for coming on and of course our loyal, loyal listeners. And I can't wait for our next uh, our next episode. Yeah, it will be a cracker. We're getting very close to the Olympics now, and we'll see you in the next one. Cheers, guys. Thanks so much for listening. We'll to question three. No fighting. We got the no fighting. So I'm just going to start no reading fighting. the lyrics. Shakira, Shakira. I never That's really knew that she could dance like this. Oh. She make a man want to speak Spanish. Rachel. Jeez. Jeez. Mi casa. Shakira, Shakira. Lucky, lucky. Is when you talk like that. You make a woman go mad. So be wise and keep on reading the signs of my body. Can you sing it? I'm on tonight. You know my hips don't lie. And I'm starting to feel it's right. All the attraction, the tension. Don't you see, baby? This is perfection. Hips, It's hips don't lie, isn't it? It is hips don't lie. Teamwork, teamwork.